Each year I find the progression from Christmas and Epiphany through to Holy Week and Easter, a great opportunity as a church to hone in on the life of Jesus as we see that life portrayed in the Gospels. In prior years from the period following Christmas and Epiphany through to Holy Week and Easter, we've looked, for example, at the healing stories of Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke. Another year, we looked around this time at the signs of Jesus as they are presented in John's Gospel. Yet another time, we looked at the Beatitudes from Matthew. And another year, we looked at the Sermon on the Plain as we read about it in Luke. Well, this year, in the three-year lectionary cycle, Christian churches are encouraged to look at the Gospel of Mark. And so I thought we could look especially at a central theme in the Gospel of Mark. It's a theme that can be encapsulated in a single phrase Jesus uses in Mark's Gospel 13 times. It's in a, a phrase that in Greek is basileia to theu, basileia to theu. That phrase has been traditionally translated as kingdom of God. That's how you'll hear it rendered in the New Revised Standard Version when I do the scripture reading in just a few moments, kingdom of God. But some have translated that phrase instead as reign of God. For basileia in Greek can mean the rule of a queen or a king, and reign of God does not point to a specific gender when it comes to the ruler. One of my mentors, Ched Myers, has translated Basileia to Theu, not as kingdom of God, but rather as economy of God. He'll note so many times when Jesus refers to the Basileia to Theu, it is in reference to economic relationships. Others have translated the phrase Basileia to Theu as kingdom, not kingdom, but kingdom emphasizing the family or kinship connections associated with Basileia. Others have translated Basileia to Theo as ecosystem of God, and they will point out how often Jesus, in referring to the Basileia to Theo, points to the natural world. I invite you to consider for this sermon series yet another way to translate Basileia to Theo, reality of God, reality of God. That phrase acknowledges God's rule over us and the natural world that God has made and over the relationships God has invited us into, into a whole way of seeing the world. And I look forward to exploring with you in the weeks ahead this theme so central to our Lord's teaching in Mark, Basileia to Theu, reality of God, or if you prefer, kingdom of God. As we prepare for the reading from Scripture this morning, let's pray. Speak to us your word, O God, that we may hear Jesus' call to be his disciples. Amen. Well, today's passage comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Listen for God's word to us this morning. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. 
As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the big news this last week was, of course, the presidential inauguration. It only happens every four years, so it's always a big deal. But this past Wednesday, January 20th, was truly historic. Not simply because Joe Biden was installed as the 46th president of the United States and became the first president in more than a century to be installed to the office during a pandemic. But Kamala Harris became our new vice president. And once she was sworn in, she became the first woman, the first black person, and the first South Asian American person in our nation's history to be elected vice president. An extraordinary moment last Wednesday was for this country. But there were other factors that made this past week's inauguration and the days leading up to it quite unusual. And one of those extraordinary and striking factors was the remarkable clash of realities that we witnessed. One prominent view of reality over the last couple months went something like this. The presidential election held on November 3rd, 2020 was won by Joe Biden on November 7th when the results were finally in for Pennsylvania. By November 19th, Biden had secured a total of 306 electoral votes with only 270 required to win the presidency. Biden was president-elect. There were legal challenges made to the election results, but none of those went anywhere in court. Biden was then inaugurated in all due order last Wednesday. That is one view of reality. But another prominent view of reality went something like this. Once everyone had cast their votes in the November 3rd election, Donald Trump won re-election by a large margin. However, that election win was then stolen. There was widespread election fraud, compromised voting systems, unconstitutional irregularities, ballots collected and dropped off by unauthorized people, and non-citizens and even dead people voting. And the fact that nobody was convicted for those wrongdoings by the courts was an outrage. And as to those who have presented evidence to debunk such claims of voter fraud and irregularities, those people are wrong or biased or part of a biased media or perhaps part of a broader conspiracy. Some believed Biden won the election, others Trump. I call this not simply a political clash, but a clash of realities. The clash, of course, came to a head on January 6th when rioters stormed the Capitol, leaving five people dead and temporarily disrupting the counting of electoral votes by the joint session of Congress. And while there have not been such violent disruptions since January 6th, the clash of realities is still with us. 
According to a CNN poll conducted roughly a week before the inauguration, one-third of U.S. citizens believe Biden and Harris did not legitimately win the election. What do you do with that? What do you do when you have not just political differences, but a clash of realities like that? Well, it forces us to ask ourselves individually and collectively, to ask ourselves as a nation and global community and as a church, how do we know what is real? How do we know what's real? Do we know what's real through news sources? And if so, which ones? For there is a variety of news sources out there today. News mediates reality to us. And can we be sure that what those mediators share is true? Do we trust a prominent person in radio or television or politics or science or education who said things that seem true to us in the past? Should we take them at their word or some, as someone with authority to say what's real? Should we believe it if they have solid data to back it up or seem to have solid data to back it up? How do we know what's real? You have to ask that question when realities collide. You have to ask that question when you find another person or a whole lot of people seeing reality so differently than how you see reality. You have to ask how they have come to their beliefs in what is real and how you have come to believe what you believe is real. How do you know what is real? The prophet Samuel, we read in scripture, had to ask that question one day when realities collided for him and then for much of ancient Israel. According to the book of 1 Samuel, the prophet for a time inhabited a world where Saul was the rightful God-appointed king of Israel. Samuel had even anointed him king at God's request. But then one day God says to Samuel, I'm afraid Saul has turned away from me and my commandments. I regret that I made Saul king. And Samuel was irate and then deeply grieved. Something Samuel had thought was so real. Saul was rightful king. That reality came crashing down. God then had Samuel anoint a new king, David, the son of Jesse. And this set up an enormous clash of realities for both Saul and David would eventually claim kingship. And both couldn't be king, right? And those around at that time had to decide which is real, David's kingship or Saul's. How do you decide what is real? Well, in today's passage from Mark's gospel, our Savior enters the scene and provokes a clash of realities for four fishermen. And it would be a prelude to a whole host of reality clashes Jesus would provoke. Before Jesus entered the scene, many people believed the Roman Empire ultimately ruled the land. And under Rome, there were Jewish puppet kings like Herod and chief priests of the temple who could operate with some authority so long as they didn't threaten Rome's ultimate political control. There were Pharisees at the time, members of the Jewish school of thought popular in Jesus' day called Pharisaism. The Pharisees advocated for strict adherence to God's laws, or at least strict adherence as they interpreted 
the Jewish laws. There were synagogues where the Jewish scriptures were read and interpreted by scribes. There were priests at the Jewish temple who had authority to declare sins forgiven once the proper sacrifices were made. That was reality before Jesus entered the scene. But when Jesus bursts into the world and starts his ministry with, there is this grand declaration, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom or the reality of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Good news or gospel back in ancient times was often the proclamation that a new authority, a new ruler or king had a reign that had begun. That statement of Jesus, the kingdom or reality of God has come near, that begins a grand clash of realities. For Jesus would proceed to move and act as if he had been given authority by God to do things that others thought he had no authority to do. He forgave sins, interpreted the scriptures, decided what was lawful to do on the Sabbath, declared people healed, ate with people deemed unclean. He even seemed to think he had authority to calm storms or overturn tables and the temple. At first the scribes, and then the Pharisees, and then the chief priests, and finally the Roman authorities said, what world does this guy think he's living in? What reality? does he think he is living in? The clash of realities came to a head when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, the mount of a king, and people declared, blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. For these kingly pretensions, Jesus was crucified, and a sign was put at the cross that read, this is the king of the Jews. Jesus as king? That's not reality. The Romans and chief priests and Pharisees and scribes declared reality is as it was before Jesus came. Caesar is Lord. The priests declare sins forgiven. The Pharisees state what's lawful to do or not do on the Sabbath. The scribes interpret the God, interpret God's law. That is reality. And yet there were people won over to our Savior's proclamation of the Basileia Tutheu, the reality of God, a reality inaugurated in a new way by Christ. Sometimes you see there's a, when there is a clash of realities, people who thought they knew what was real see something new God is doing. Sometimes people are willing to have their perspective change. They're willing to adjust to adapt to a new reality, staring them right in the face. It takes courage to let a previous worldview be refashioned and reshaped by truth. But when realities clash, sometimes people are open to a deeper, truer reality than what they knew before. We aren't sure why the fishermen, Simon and Andrew, and after them, James and John, chose to leave their nets and their families to follow Jesus. But we are told that Jesus confronted them with a clash of realities. He told them, before now you fished for fish, and your family was your kinship circle, your father, mother, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters. In this new reality, my followers and I will be your family. 
In this new reality, you will be fishers, not of fish, but of people in this new reality. God's rule, God's kingdom, the basilea to Theo has come near to you. You will see God at work, God nearer to you than you ever thought God could be. Jesus provoked a clash of realities for these four fishermen. Would they cling to the reality they had known before or embrace this new reality Jesus confronted them with? Well, first Simon and Andrew, and then James and John chose to go down the rabbit hole. There's a movie scene that is now legendary when it comes to the idea of a journey towards truth when realities collide. That movie is, of course, The Matrix, and in it, a mysterious stranger named Morpheus offers another character, Neo, a choice. Morpheus offers Neo a red pill or a blue pill. Now, Neo had been told by Morpheus that the world he inhabited was not real. Neo, Morpheus believes, had already suspected this. But Morpheus invites Neo, if he wishes, to see how deep the rabbit hole goes, to see truth and nothing more, to see reality as it is. That way would mean taking the red pill. Or, Morpheus goes on, Neo could take the blue pill, and in that case he would wake up the next day as if nothing happened. He could go on believing whatever he wanted to believe. Neo takes the red pill. He's then confronted with a terrifying truth. Neo learns that everything he thought he knew was a lie. The world he thought he knew was just a simulation, a virtual reality plugged into his brain so that his body might be kept docile. His body in reality had been held captive in a pod with his brain connected to a matrix. And through that matrix, a false reality was feeding his consciousness while his body was enslaved by machines. Neo sees a terrifying new reality, but it is reality. And he will see hopeful news in that reality too. He will learn there's an effort afoot to liberate humanity from that enslavement, and he will have the chance to be a part of that effort. But we aren't sure. Why these four fishermen we read about in today's passage took the red pill rather than the blue pill when Jesus came by. We aren't sure why they followed Jesus down the rabbit hole. We only know they would be troubled by what they saw. Jesus' power to heal, to calm the seas, to feed the multitudes astounded and at times terrified them. They would learn the way to greatness was humble service and sacrifice. They would see the depths of human pain and the power of sin as their own teacher was crucified. I wonder if those fishermen sometimes regretted taking the red pill. I imagine some days they did. But then, had they not taken the red pill, had they not said yes to following Jesus, they wouldn't have known all the truth they would come to know, hard truth of the depths of this broken and sinful world, but wonderful truth too, that God was at work in that very world in beautiful ways, healing, renewing, restoring, saving. They would not have seen Jesus crucified, that's true but they would also not have had the opportunity to hear those glorious words, He 
is raised. So what's real? How do we know what's real? Perhaps the more important question is, are we as a people like Simon and Andrew, like James and John, willing to see the true, the real, when confronted with it, when God puts it before us? The theologian and ethicist Jim McClendon put it like this, our common task, he wrote, is not so much discovering a truth hiding among contrary viewpoints, as it is coming to possess a selfhood that no longer evades and eludes the truth. Again, our common task is not so much discovering a truth hiding among contrary viewpoints as it is coming to possess a selfhood that no longer evades and eludes the truth. What's real? Perhaps the more important question is, am I, are we, a people who do not evade the truth? Maybe that's all Simon and Andrew, James and John did that day. They simply acknowledged what was before their eyes and didn't run from it. They saw truth, reality, when it stared them in the face. They saw God had come near to them. A new reality had burst in, and they dared follow where that reality led, even if it went right down the rabbit hole. Well, 2,000 years later, we're still proclaiming that ancient truth, that into the sinful and broken world, God came near in Christ to redeem and lift us up to heaven. Following Jesus, it's like taking a red pill. It's seeing the horror and the beauty, the hatred and the love. It's seeing even in that neighbor we disagree with vehemently, the very image of God, someone Christ came to reconcile to God. Following Jesus, it is dying and it is rising. Following Jesus, it means having a selfhood like Simon and Andrew, a selfhood that does not evade or elude the truth when confronted with it, but receives it and is changed by it. Well, since God is the ground of all truth, we believe, then following Jesus means confronting all truth, scientific truth philosophical truth, sociological truth, psychological truth, anthropological truth, historical truth. Even if the truth might be full of oppression and even enslavement or murder with guilt even on our hands, even if we see hatred and greed in our world and, if we're honest, in us, we say, bring on the truth, bring on the truth, we won't flee from it. We'll be confronted by it. We'll be changed by it for evading or eluding the truth. That's not the way of Jesus. Our Savior didn't flee hard truth, but met it with conviction and with love. And he invites his followers to do the same. And thank God, as we go down the rabbit hole, our Savior is right there with us. He is in the boat beside us. How do you know what is real? Maybe the best answer I can offer is to point you to those few words Jesus spoke to fishermen long ago. Come, Jesus said to them, 
follow me. What is real, you ask, Jesus says, come, come and see. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.